Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. This week on the Southcrest Live, featuring Dr. David Wilson, we continue our new study called Fail, a series on the epic failures of the Bible. Today, our attention turns to Jeroboam, Israel's first king in the period of the divided kingdom following Solomon's death. Ironically, he had the promise of God's blessing if he would simply be faithful to God. But Jeroboam thought he had a better way. Open your Bible to 1 Kings 11 and 12 and listen to this week's message, The Danger of Convenient Religion, from Pastor David Wilson. We've been in a short series entitled Epic Failures, and we've looked at several people in the Scripture, especially the Old Testament, that have been epic fails. Achan, his secret sin. Ahab, he was all about feeling good and not wanting to hear the truth. Samson, of course, he's seduced by the culture and falls prey to that. Today, we're going to look at 1 Kings chapter 11. Next Sunday, we'll finish up and look at Jonah, and then we're going to start a study of 2 Peter, the, probably the most neglected book in the New Testament, and we'll go verse by verse, but we'll begin that two weeks from today. But today, we're going to talk about Jeroboam. If you have your Bibles, open to chapter 11 of 1 Kings got several passages to read here, so if you don't mind standing out of respect for God's Word, let me read to you. Verse 38, I want you to pay close attention to, this is God through speaking to Jeroboam through the prophet Ahijah. Thank you. And listen to what he says to Jeroboam. Then it shall be, verse 38, then it shall be if you heed all that I command you, walk in my ways and do what is right in my sight to keep my statutes and my commandments as my servant David did, then I will be with you and build for you an enduring house as I built for David and will give Israel to you. Okay, basically God says, you keep following me and I'll bless you as king. All right, now look in verse, excuse me, chapter 12, verse 26. The first phrase, and Jeroboam said in his heart. There's the first mistake right there. Now the kingdom may return to the house of David. If these people go up to offer sacrifices in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then the heart of his people will turn back to their Lord, Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they will kill me and go back to Rehoboam, king of Judah. Therefore, the king asked advice, made two calves of gold, and said to the people, It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, little g. Notice that. O Israel, which brought you up from the land of Egypt. And he set up one in Bethel, and the other he put in Dan. Now this thing became a sin, for the people went to worship before the one as far as Dan. He made shrines on the high places and made priests from every class of people who were not of the sons of Levi. Jeroboam ordained a feast on the 15th day of the eighth month, like the feast that was in Judah, and offered sacrifices on the altar. 
So he did at Bethel, sacrificing to the calves that he had made. And at Bethel, he installed the priest of the high places, which he had made. So he made offerings on the altar, which he had made at Bethel on the 15th day of the eighth month in the month in which he had devised in his own heart. And he ordained a feast for the children of Israel and offered sacrifices on the altar and burned incense. Now go to chapter 14. At that time, Abijah, the son of Jeroboam, became sick. And Jeroboam said to his wife, please arise and disguise yourself that they may not recognize you as the wife of Jeroboam and go to Shiloh. Indeed, Ahijah, the prophet, is there who told me that I would be the king over this people. Also take with you 10 loaves, some cakes, and a jar of honey, and go to him. He will tell you what will become of the child. And Jeroboam's wife did so. She arose and went to Shiloh, came to the house of Ahijah, but Ahijah could not see, for his eyes were glazed by reason of his age. Now the Lord had said to Ahijah, here is the wife of Jeroboam coming to ask you something about her son, for he is sick. Thus and thus you shall say to her, for it will be when she comes in that she will pretend to be another woman. And so it was when Ahijah heard the sound of her footsteps as she came through the door. He said, come in, wife of Jeroboam. Why do you pretend to be another person? For I have been sent to you with bad news. Go tell Jeroboam, thus saith the Lord God of Israel, because I exalted you from among the people and made you ruler over my people Israel and tore the kingdom away from the house of David and gave it to you, and yet you have not been as my servant David who kept my commandments and who followed me with all his heart to do only what was right in my eyes. But you have done more evil than all who were before you, for you've gone and made for yourself other gods and molded images to provoke me to anger and have cast me behind your back. Therefore, behold, I will bring disaster on the house of Jeroboam and will cut off from Jeroboam every male in Israel, bond and free. I will take away the remnant of the house of Jeroboam as one takes away refuse until it is all gone. The dog shall eat whoever belongs to Jeroboam and dies in the city, and the birds of the air shall eat whoever dies in the field, for the Lord has spoken. Arise, therefore go to your own house. When your feet enter the city, the child shall die. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you help us not to make the same mistakes that people like Jeroboam made? I thank you for the folks that are here today that love your word. And I pray that you'll speak to us now from your word, apply it to our lives, help us turn intentionally to serve you. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. One Sunday morning, pastor announced our closing hymn will be, Take Time to Be Holy. Some of you may remember that old hymn, take time to be holy. And then he said, because, of the, because in the interest of time, we will only sing the first verse. Some of you may remember earlier these coffee machines that first came out. You would put a, a coin in and then the cup would fall down. 
Then the coffee would pour into it. And if you had cream and sugar, it would add that. Now, those are sort of disappearing. You don't see many of them anymore. But one day, a man put a coin in that vending machine, and he watched helplessly as the cup failed to come into place. Then the machine poured the coffee down the drain, and then the cream down the drain behind it. And he backed up and exclaimed, he said, now that's real automation. It even drinks it for you. Okay, there's a couple of people here that have got names similar. Jeroboam and Rehoboam. Rehoboam is the son of Solomon. Jeroboam was a servant in Solomon's kingdom that had been elevated to a pretty high rank. But I want you to remember the difference. And then later on, we're going to hear about Abijah and Ahijah. One letter's different. Abijah was the son of Jeroboam. Ahijah was the prophet. Now, this is toward the end of Solomon's reign, but before this happens. And Solomon did not finish well. And Solomon married all of these foreign women who had foreign gods. It wasn't that they were of a different nationality as much as the fact that they had foreign gods and all these pagan gods. And Solomon set up all of these shrines to them, even in Jerusalem. He had built the temple for Yahweh, for God, but he built all these other shrines for these pagan gods. And, and these foreign wives had taken Solomon's heart away from the Lord. And, he, and God warned him. He said, don't marry all these people because they're going to take you away. And sure enough, they did. But Solomon also kind of developed what's pretty common today and what we would call pluralism. Pluralism basically states, there's a, says that there's a lot of different ways to God and we're just one of them. That everybody's going to eventually make it, but they're just going to different paths. That's called pluralism. Well, Solomon seemed to have adopted that. All these different gods, everybody's worshiping different gods, everybody's happy. But folks, I want to tell you something. There's only one that made a way for us that they just sing about, and that's Jesus Christ. Because he dealt with our sin. Our sin had to be dealt with. So, when Rehoboam got the kingdom. Solomon died. By, by the way, let me back up. One day, Jeroboam was coming, well, as a result of, of, of uh, Solomon setting up all these gods, some of the people began to revolt. There were adversaries. And so Jeroboam was one of them. And on, on way somewhere, Ahijah, the prophet, sees Jeroboam and Ahijah has on a brand new garment and he takes that garment and he rips it into 12 pieces and he tells Jeroboam take 10 of these pieces because God's about to give you 10 of these tribes as a kingdom you're going to inherit that the, the, the kingdom's going to be divided because Rehoboam and, I've, and, and, and basically God told that to Solomon too well, Solomon then immediately was going to kill Jeroboam. So Jeroboam fled to Egypt. Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, takes over. And Rehoboam, they come to him and ask him, the people do, would you just kind of back off all of the regulations that Solomon laid on us, all of the taxes, all of the ridiculous burdens that he's put on us? Would you lighten it up a little bit and let people live again? And, and Rehoboam basically, after consulting with some people, said, you know, no, I'm going to make it worse. And when he did, 
God divided the kingdom. Ten of the tribes revolted. They formed the, the northern kingdom called Israel. The southern kingdom, God left in the hands of Rehoboam because of David, his grandfather, and Judah being where Jerusalem is, the land of Judah, was the southern kingdom. Jeroboam comes back from Egypt, and the ten tribes make him the king. So now he's the king. And I, and I told you before what God said to, or I read to you before in chapter 11, verse 38, what Abijah was telling him, God is saying, you're going to have this kingdom. And if you will follow me, I will bless that kingdom. So Jeroboam sees the first promise of God fulfilled. I mean, he's, now he's become a king. He's got the 10 tribes, the northern kingdom. But Jeroboam feared that it would only be a matter of time if people went back to Jerusalem to worship on a, you know, on a yearly basis, that he was afraid their hearts would turn toward Judah and then toward Rehoboam, who was the king of Judah, and that they would eventually want to go back and then that they would kill him. Now, why did he feel that way? I mean, he had no reason to feel that way. God already fulfilled the first promise that he said, you're now the king, but... Jeroboam took things in his own hands. And here's where he began to fail. Amen. He'd seen the first promise come true, but he doubted that God could keep another promise. Isn't that amazing how today we believe, there, I don't believe there's a person in this room who believes, who doesn't believe that Jesus saves. I think you, I think you believe Jesus saves. And I think most of you believe he saves you. And that God's going to keep his promise so that one day you're going to go to heaven, right? But why is it when it comes to other promises of God in the scripture, we don't believe him? So we sort of pick and choose now. So Jeroboam's not the only guy that did this, but Jeroboam decided he was going to set up his own religion. So I'm going to talk to you a few minutes about the danger of convenient religion. And the first thing you'll notice, he took things in his own hands and he created a self-serving religion. Amen. Really, he was really concerned that he was going to lose power. He was, he was concerned that he was going to lose the people because they were going to go all the way back to Jerusalem to worship and that their hearts would always be there and that they would finally want to go back home and so he set up a self-serving religion. I tried to emphasize to you while I was reading, for example, and Jeroboam said in his heart. And then in verse 28 of, of chapter 12, the king consulted and made two golden calves. And then in verse 33, it says, so he made offerings on the altar, which he had made at Bethel on the 15th day of the eighth month, in the month in which he had devised in his own heart. And he ordained a feast for the children of Israel and offered sacrifices on the altar and burned incense. Now, folks, you cannot have a good, convenient religion if you don't have some revelation other than the Bible. And so that's why today when you find a lot of stuff that's going on, they've either got another book that they're following or they've got a synod, or they've got a council, or they've got a committee that's made up all of this stuff instead of staying with the word of God who says, this is the way you'll serve me, this is how you follow Jesus Christ, and so forth. And convenient religions usually mimic 
mimic true religion. There's always a slight little difference. But it makes it look legit. Apostasy is departure from the true religion. So it's going, to attain, uh, it's going to retain as much of the original as it can, but then they're going to twist it just enough to make it serve whatever purpose they want it to serve. Amen. And so how do you know when somebody's telling you the truth or not if you don't have one standard, the Word of God, if they've got all these other books that go along with it, how do you know what's true or not? And so Jeroboam decides in his own heart... Hey, I can fix this. He told the Israelites, you don't have to go all the way to Jerusalem. That's too far. That's inconvenient. So he makes these golden calves. Isn't it interesting? And even says, these are the gods. And he uses, it's little g. The gods who delivered you from Egypt. Does that remind you of something that happened when they were delivered from Egypt? Aaron made a golden calf while Moses was up on Mount Sinai. Well, obviously, here we go again. These are the gods that delivered you from Egypt. And he set one up in Bethel, which was on the road to Jerusalem. And then one in the northernmost part of the kingdom, Dan. And he said, now, guys, you don't have to go to Jerusalem. You can stay right here. You can go to Bethel or you can go to Dan and you can worship. And, and that way, he was thinking, well, they won't turn their hearts away from me. Jeroboam never expresses any concern about what God might think of his plan. There are only two, now listen carefully, there are only two religions in the world. There's the one that is in the revealed plan of God. And then there's the other ones that were made up by man. Amen. I choose to follow the one that God revealed through Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, this self-serving religion, see, he had a purpose for this. He, he wasn't really concerned about him worshiping God, even though he made it sound like it. He was really worried about them turning on him. And I want to tell you, a lot of these so-called religions, if you'll look, there's a lot of self-serving going on in there. But Jesus said, if you follow me, you'll take up your cross. And there's, there's not convenience, there's sacrifice involved. Notice some, some ways that he did this. The self-serving religion, he started with a convenient worship. And I've already alluded to this. He, he moved it to Bethel and to Dan. But then he did something that was totally against the second commandment of God. He made a graven image. Made those golden calves. Why? Why are people so caught up with images and statues and idols? I've often wondered why in the world would you would somebody worship an image that they made and then think it's God? Because it appeals, it appeals to our physical senses. We can see it. We can touch it, but God is invisible, and the only way we can sense him is through our heart and through our commitment and faith to him, and by faith do we know him. Now, one of these days, our faith will be sight. We're going to see him, 
But he made these graven images and because the spiritual concept of an invisible God can only be appreciated in the heart. And Jeroboam's sin broke the second commandment. Now, folks, I want to tell you something. There are churches today that are using the same kind of style that Jeroboam, they may not have graven images, but they're using all kinds of, I'm going to call them gimmicks to get people to come to church. Now we can change a lot of things, but there's, there's something we can't ever change here. And that is the fact that we're going to lift up Jesus Christ and he will draw all men to him. And we're going to lift up the word of God, the, 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 the styles and the times and all of that. We can change that, but we're not going to be offering up stuff to draw worldly people in here just because we wanted to think we're cool. Now, I'm for getting people to come to things. Do you understand what I'm saying? But, but some people today, they just live and die by gimmicks. And gimmicks do not last. Amen. What keeps people coming is when you point them to Jesus and they fall in love with Jesus and they fall in love with his word. And you want to hear God's word. And so Jeroboam's clan is still around today. Gordon Dahl said, most middle class Americans tend to worship their work to work at their play, and to play at their worship. As a result, their meanings and their values are distorted. Their relationships disintegrate faster than they can keep them in repair. And their lives, their lifestyles resemble a cast of characters in search of a plot. They don't know what they're doing. It's amazing how people today only want the part of church that they like. As long as everybody feels good, as long as everybody eats good, as everybody else is doing good, they, they like it. But when the Lord begins to talk about some, some sacrifice and following me and some commitment, no, I don't want that part. Kind of reminds me of a guy who went to the doctor and he wasn't feeling well. And the doctor gave him a bottle of pills and he said, I want you to take one of these pills a day, every day, with an ounce of whiskey. About a month later, he came back. He was still feeling bad. And the doctor said, did you do what I'd ask you to do? He said, sort of. He says, I'm, I'm kind of behind on the pills, but I'm about six months ahead on the whiskey. <laughs> well, a lot of people are that way when it comes to worship. Oh, I like this part, but I don't. You start talking about that hard stuff. I don't, I don't like any of that. Convenient worship. It's inconvenient, but it's commanded by the Lord. The Lord tells us, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Don't. God says it in Hebrews, don't forsake it. Do you think it's important that you gather with people? Well, I don't like people. He still says you need to gather with them. They need to see you. You need to see them. You need to be encouraged. God tells us to do that. It's never convenient. They also, they had convenient worship, but a second indication is convenient priests. He had a problem. He couldn't get the sons of Aaron, the Levites, to be the priests. So verse 31 says, that's no problem. We'll just appoint our own. So he appointed them from every person, every class of people. 
doesn't matter. We've got the show. We've got the priest. We've got the outward look of it. And many times, mere show and outward conformity also kind of salve the conscience. And the Bible describes people as being satisfied with a form of godliness but having no power. He kept the priesthood. He kept it. No problem. We have priests. The problem is it wasn't according to the way God wanted it. God said the, the tribe, the priestly tribe will be the Levites. You know, every apostasy of the Christian religion refers back to Christ for its legitimacy. Every cult that claims to know Christ, every religion that's false that claims to know Christ always goes back to Christ, but then they change something. And they add to it. And you often hear this phrase, it doesn't say not to. Today, Jeroboam's decision would be applauded as one of saying, well, you know, we just need to include everyone. Now, listen to me. The gospel is for everyone. But leadership in God's kingdom and and among the church is for people whom God calls out, obviously, but... If a person is living in a sinful lifestyle, they're not supposed to be leading the flock of God. Nobody's perfect. I'm far from it. Just ask my wife. She's right over here. She can tell you everything about me. I'm just glad she didn't say amen. (laughs) But she can tell you everything about me. But the fact is, today we've sort of gotten this idea, and there are, there are denominations. Well, anybody can be the, in the priesthood. Anybody can lead. In fact, you can, get, you can get degrees online to fulfill whatever purpose you want to fulfill. And I'm not, saying, I'm not saying that as a pastor I'm better than anyone. I'm just telling you that today you see a lot of things saying, how can a person that's in a sinful openly sinful lifestyle according to scripture ever claimed to be leading a flock of God it just doesn't happen but in this case it didn't matter hey we we need priests at Bethel and we need priests at Dan we'll get some and then you see convenient festival now most of you miss this I guarantee you there was a festival in Judah that was set up by in Leviticus chapter 23 called the Feast of Booths, B-O-O-T-H-S. I want to make sure you're not, you're not thinking I'm saying booze. <laughs> the Feast of Booths. Why did he pick that one? He didn't pick Passover. He didn't pick the Day of Atonement. Because those two, those two uh, uh, occasions, they're pretty heavy. I mean, there's a lot of uh, repentance and there's a lot of self-searching going on. There's a lot of, of meditation and all. They're pretty heavy. So he picks the party one. I'm, I'm, I'm loosely paraphrasing. He, he picks the Feast of Booths. It's a party. It's an eating meeting. The Baptists would love it. They, they just, they have a, 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 it was a real feast. It was a celebrated harvest. It was a fun one. But he still changed it because in Leviticus chapter 23, it was supposed to be on the 15th day of the seventh month. Jeroboam said, no problem. We're going to do it on the 15th day of the eighth month. So you don't have to go to Jerusalem. We've got our own feasts. We've got our own priests. We got you covered. 
It's all convenient. Convenience is a big deal to us, isn't it? We want our food as we drive through with our car. We, we want, to, I mean, you don't even like to wait at a traffic light. You're looking at your phone while you're at a traffic light. You don't even, can't wait two minutes for that light to change. And now, if you're, if you're on the internet and you turn up a web page and in three seconds it hadn't come up, you've already left. Am I right? Yeah. Convenience. We're all about convenience. Make it easy for me. We try to make it as convenient for you on this campus as we possibly can by having parking places for those of you who need it closer. And, and, and we try to do the best we can. But, you know, when it comes down to it, convenience is something that most everybody wants. I read of, of a frontier town. It must have been out here in the West. When they were just getting started as a town, they had a church. And they wanted a pastor. And they were trying to find one. They said, we want any pastor but a Baptist when asked why, they said, because we have to haul our water for 15 miles and we don't want to haul water for a baptism. <laughs> George Barna, in his surveys, says a massive realignment of thinking is taking place in which people are transferring many elements formerly thought of as necessary into the realm of the optional. And, of course, the optional then becomes a personal matter of what people might think to choose or to, to define as desirable but not that important. For example, church attendance, Bible reading, prayer, worship, involvement in a local church body, all of these appear to be in transition, shifting from the necessary to the optional it's very easy to fall into that trap. Many have the idea that we can't expect people today to be as committed as our fathers and our grandfathers because things are so much different today. We have so much more to do. And there are many of aspects of church life that we legitimately now look at as optional. But God calls for obedience. There are times when it's not convenient to attend church. But God commands that we do. Did you know that's not optional? There are a lot of people who say, well, I follow Jesus. I don't have to go to church. But the Lord said, don't forsake the assembling. Don't forsake means go. There are times when it's not convenient to tell the truth. But God commands that we tell the truth. There are times when it's not convenient to forgive those who offend us, but God commands us that we do that. There are times when God tells us to do something and it's just so inconvenient. But we're, if we're not careful, we begin to have this attitude of just convenience. If it's convenient for me, I'm going to serve you, Lord. If it's convenient for me, I'll do this. If it's convenient to me, for me, I will get around to whatever it is you're calling me to do. After all, we could do what we want. At least that's what Jeroboam thought. But not only do you see a self-serving religion, you're going to see that he has a very limited view of God. Amen. Listen, now we're going to chapter 14. Now here's the two names that are alike. Abijah, that's the son of Jeroboam. 
And Ahijah is the prophet of God in Shiloh. Abijah, the son of Jeroboam, gets very sick. And Jeroboam wants a word from God concerning his son. So he tells his wife, <laughs> make sure you use plenty of makeup, but I want you to go into the skies. I want you to dress up like somebody else, and I want you to go to Shiloh, to Ahijah's house. He's old. He can't see well. You can probably fool him, but we're trying to either get a blessing from God or find out what he can see in the future about our child. We're going to find out from God. And in that action, Jeroboam is really revealing his attitude towards re towards religion. You notice he doesn't send his wife to the golden calves, and he doesn't send his wife to the priests that he's appointed. He doesn't send his wife to Dan or to Bethel. He says, no, I want you to go Shiloh. I want you to find a real prophet of God. Now, normally, he didn't need God. But when the crisis came, he turns to God. Because up until this time, God existed for Jeroboam's own end, and now he can't control anything. So now he's going to come running to God. And when Jeroboam sent his wife disguised as a prophet of God, he basically insulted God because he thought God was stupid. You see, Abijah was going to be heir to the throne of Jeroboam. What's interesting, and this is a side note, somehow in, in this household where Jeroboam and his wife and his family were not really following God the right way, Abijah somehow followed God. It says in verse, uh, I think it's verse 13, chapter 4, um, because he is uh, something good toward the Lord God is found in him is what it says. And isn't it cool that even in a home where parents may not honor God, that God still can speak to kids and call them out and they can follow him? So we got to believe that Abijah really knew the Lord God of Israel, knew Yahweh. But even though he was, she was disguised, it, 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 this is still going on today. Because a lot of people... They, they come in and out of the church who are like that. We've got the people who are familiar with the Bible. They can believe that what it says. They can even say, I love Jesus. I love the word of God. I love the mercy and the kindness, and I want to go to heaven. And they accept the Bible, they think, but then they want a religion that is according to their own whims. Because when the scripture then begins to say, okay, to be obedient, you need to do this, and I'm asking you to do this and do that and do this, and they don't want that. So they've got this limited view of God and basically that God is a puppet that I can call him out when I need him. Otherwise, I'm going to leave him on a shelf. This kind of attitude usually takes two directions. First, it's all love and no judgment. I'm so grateful for the grace and mercy of God. Aren't you? You and I were saved by faith. We're saved by the grace of God. God loves us. And we talk about that. And, and we especially like the part that says God will forgive our sin. But folks, I want to tell you, God not only forgives our sin, he delivers us out of that sin. So these people who say, well, you know, 
I, I followed Jesus. I made a decision back when I was six years old, 10 years old, whatever, and you know, and then, but I don't go to church anymore, and I live like I don't go to, I'm not going to heaven. I live like I want. Then I, but I know I'm saved because I made a decision. No, I want to tell you something. I believe that the, a person can backslide, and, and, and I'm, I'm about to, there's about to be all kinds of rabbits running out from under this bush, and I don't have time to chase them. But, but basically, when you get saved, you're never the same again. Amen. Obviously, moments of sin creep up, and we succumb to that. But you're not the same anymore because you begin to grow in the Lord. And, and he delivers us out of sin. But today, it seems like there's, a, there's an emphasis on the grace of God that says, well, you know, I, I want the forgiveness of God, and I want to go to heaven. But now that I've been saved, now I can go live like I want to, and there won't be any consequences. Sorry. You may not face the eternal judgment of God. You'll still go to heaven, but the fact is, if you're saved, you go to heaven. But the fact is, we think today that because we're under grace, there's no consequences to sin anymore. There's no, there is. It's a, it's a pitiful example, but if I, if I abuse my body by putting stuff in it that I don't need to, and I've, I have, but if I continually do that and continually do that and continually do that, and then one of these days I get sick as a result of that, I can't blame God for that. That's my fault. I'm not saying that every time something bad happens, it's because of your sin, because that's a, that's a danger too. It's because I want to tell you, we live in a cursed world, and bad things happen to godly people. And it's not because of their sin. So that we can't, you can't chase that. But what I'm trying to tell you is that if you are living apart from the Lord and you don't honor what God says, there are consequences. Young people, you're listening to me in the venue. If it says in 2 Corinthians, if you are unequal, do not be, do not be unequally yoked with non-believers. And it's not just young people, you old people that are on the hunt. Some of y'all are on the hunt. You find a believer. Because then you marry a non-believer and you wonder why there's trouble in your marriage. Because God said, listen to me. That may not be the best example, but it's the only one I can think of right now. We think, well, God's all love and all love and there's no judgment. But that makes God a puppet. We take him out and use him like we want and then put him back and don't worry about the consequences. The second view is all love and no knowledge. Golden calves don't save. The self-deception here's worse. Jeroboam was afraid what would happen if the prophet recognized his wife. He was afraid if the prophet would say that he knew that this was the wife of Jeroboam, that he would say something bad about Abijah. People come in to church and they will attend and, and they will endure a message and then they will go home and live like they don't know the Lord the rest of the week and they think they fooled God. In fact, some people, some people won't come to church because they think if they don't come to worship and they don't come to church, 
God won't see them. After all, he lives in this building, doesn't he? They think. He doesn't. But they think, well, if I don't go in there, God won't see me. He won't know what I'm doing. That's what Jeroboam was doing. If he doesn't know who my wife is, God won't see me. She wasn't even at the door good. In the sound of her feet, the prophet recognized her. We can stray from the Lord, and then we can come in and offer a prayer and come to church, and all is well. Then go and live like we never made any kind of commitment, and it's just all convenient. We persuade ourselves that we can go in a way that is not right throughout all of our life, and then at the end, turn to God when we need him the most, and we can fool him. You're not going to fool God. You cannot hide from God. We're going to talk about that next Sunday. Just ask Jonah. So how do we keep from making the same mistakes? I'm going to call it avoiding spiritual shortcuts. Three quick things and I'm done. First of all, trust God's promises. A promise from God is something that you can take to the bank, as we say. You can rest assured it's going to happen. You can have absolute confidence in it. Let me give you just a few of them. God's presence, the promise of God's presence. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Hebrews 13, 5. The promise of God's provision. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Philippians 4.19. God's leading. John 10.4. When he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them. God's rest. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Matthew 11.28. God's cleansing. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1.9. Man, I love that verse. God's goodness. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Psalm 84.11. God's guidance, the humble he guides in justice and the humble he teaches his way, Psalm 25, 9. God's wise plan, all things work together for good to them that love God, Romans 8, 28. It didn't say all things are good. It says all things work together. God's promises can be trusted I'll go back to that 2 Corinthians 6 passage. Young people, if you follow the Lord and follow God's plan and follow and marry a believer, trust God in this. I remember a time when I was a teenager, I thought if I really trust God with this, he'll make me marry somebody ugly. (laughs) I did. Lord, you can't pick them as good as I can. Well, that didn't happen. (laughs) The second thing is to obey his word. What areas in your life are you not being obedient to? 
from attending the word, from, from supporting God's work, through tithing, through forgiving other people, through honoring him and your family. I, I don't know what it might be, but all of us have areas of our life where we're not being obedient to the Lord. And you'll never have peace and fellowship with the Lord if you're not going to be obedient. You take a shortcut when you skip and choose and pick and choose what you want. Well, I like that verse, but I don't like that verse. And the last thing, serve intentionally, not conveniently. Serve intentionally, not conveniently. You see, following Christ is a commitment. Jesus, so many times, would confront people. He would say, well, if it's convenient, you can take up your cross and follow me. No, he would say, no, you need to follow me. Because I'm going to take you places no one else can take you. I'm going to take you to be with God. No one else can do that. You've got to be intentional about this, folks. You have to be intentional about receiving Christ. Because I want to tell you, it was not convenient for Jesus to die on the cross. But he did it intentionally for you. And so if you turn from your sin, basically saying, God, I am sick of this sin. I need you to deliver me out of this lifestyle. I need you to deliver me to give me hope and peace and assurance and guidance and directions. And if you turn from your sin and repentance and ask God to forgive you and say, God, I not only want you to forgive me, but I want you to deliver me out of this. And I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sin. And I believe he rose again. And Lord Jesus, I give you my life right now. I want you to be the boss of my life. And I want to follow you intentionally, not conveniently. You see, God says, you need to get part of a church somewhere. Now, if this isn't the church God wants you to be, don't come. But if it is, what are you waiting on? Be part of a body. Be part of a small group. Get in a small group and, and, and serve and help and, and be loved and, and you love on other people. Sunday school class. The Lord said, I want you to be baptized. It's not an option. You follow me? Your commitment is shown by being baptized. So what does God want you to do? Would you do it right now? Would you pray with me? Thank you, Pastor David. Today we found in Jeroboam's life a checklist of things not to do. The religion he established in Israel was self-serving, a counterfeit that mimicked true religion. At the core of his rebellion, we find that Jeroboam suffered from a limited view of God. If believers today want to avoid his mistakes, we need only to trust God's promises, to obey his word, and to serve intentionally, not conveniently. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. Be sure to catch our next installment of the Southcrest Live podcast.